Welcome to the Anchored in Truth podcast. Anchored in Truth is an online ministry of Safe Harbor Baptist in Georgetown, Kentucky. Visit us online at safeharborbaptist.org. Please remain standing as we turn to God's Word once again to read it, our main passage for today in Psalm 32. You can turn to your copy of God's Word or you can navigate on your device or you can look on the screens of Uh, up here. Psalm 32, a masculine of David. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like the horse or mule without understanding. They must be controlled with bit and bridle, or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Pray with me, church. Holy Father, hallowed be your name. Lord, we lift up your name this morning and we bring you glory and praise for you are worthy. You are such a magnificent God and such a blessed Holy Father and Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give me utterance this morning, would anoint me to speak your word with power and in spirit and truth. And I pray that all of our hearts would be prepared to receive this word here in this building and for those joining us on live stream. May you be honored and glorified in what we do here this morning. Lord, I pray you protect my lips from speaking any falsehood or anything that's incorrect. We ask and pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you may be seated at this time if... uh, you have little ones that are going downstairs. This would be the time to do that. So it is a privilege to be preaching to you from Psalm 32. What an awesome psalm. I've really enjoyed digging into this one, and I look forward to, to preaching it now. The source of true happiness is what I have entitled this sermon. And I'd like to start off with a question. What makes you happy? Or what do you think would make you happy? Is it something to do with your family, with a job or career, 
material wealth? Is it a new house, a different house, or a new car, or just shopping? Debbie and I like to shop sometimes. Um, Think about it and fill in the blank. If I had blank, then I would be happy. How does the world define happiness? I did a web search on this. Happiness, what does the world consider to be happiness? And it came up with five key elements. I, I wrote these down. Positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning, I guess to find meaning in life, and achievement. Well, in Psalm 32, David instructs us on true happiness and what it takes to have it. Psalm 32 is considered one of the seven penitential psalms. Now, penitential refers to expressing repentance or remorse, and specifically remorse for sins uh, in the Bible. And there are actually seven penitential psalms. And just for reference, you can jot these down if you want. You can probably web search and find those as well. But it's Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, 143. And please don't say bingo, anyone. We're, we're not doing that. Um, Although Psalm 32 is considered one of the penitential psalms, it's not like some of the other psalms dealing with sin, like Psalm 51, where David repents of his sin. Psalm 32 has more elements uh, pertaining to a thanksgiving psalm or a wisdom psalm with its didactic elements because it teaches lessons from David's sin against God and restoration to God. There's a little bit of feedback coming up here, Scott. So just some background on the story. Psalm 32 is related to Psalm 51, not only in that they're both penitential psalms, but they both are written about David's sinful activities as recorded in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 that Pastor Andy mentioned last week. But let's look at the progression of David's sin in, you know, as recorded in 2 Samuel. starts out with idleness. says in the springtime when kings go out to war... Well, he wasn't out to war. He was kind of stayed in at the palace and just kind of strolling around, and he was idle. Instead, he sent Joab, his nephew and commander of his army. Then he had lustfulness. As he was strolling on his rooftop, he spied out and saw uh, a beautiful Bathsheba, and he lusted for her. Then he coveted her and sent his messengers to retrieve and bring her back to his palace. Then he took her in adultery. After that, sending her back to her house. And she contacted him and said, hey, David, I'm pregnant. So then David was guilty of deceit. He tried to deceive her husband Uriah, got him drunk to try to get him to go be with his wife to cover up his sin. When that didn't work, he resorted to murder. He had Uriah murdered through a letter to Joab. He deliberately placed Uriah in the fiercest area of the battle where he was surely to be killed. And then finally, Uriah, David's faithful servant, was murdered, killed in battle, and then David took his wife as his own. Now, there was a disturbing thought I had as I was reading through this. I was like, Uriah hand-delivered his death sentence in the letter that King David wrote to Joab. I've asked you to consider what makes you happy. And we've considered and looked at briefly the world's idea of happiness. But in Psalm 32, the big idea here is you can know true happiness when you trust the Lord. 
You can know true happiness when you trust the Lord. So let's dive right in. Uh, Point number one, recognize the source of true happiness. Verses one and two, let's look at those again. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, some translations read blessed, but the literal meaning of the word in these verses is happiness. So how happy is the one would be another good translation. And according to David, and since this is God's word, according to God, what translates into happiness? Let's look at Romans 4, 7 through 8. Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. So over a thousand years later, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament is quoting Psalm 32 that David wrote in the Old Testament. Namely, forgiven transgression, covered sin, iniquity not charged to your account, and no deceit found within you. Those are the things that equal happiness. Forgiven transgression, covered sin, iniquity not charged to your account, and no deceit found within you. I'd like to take a moment and look at these sins that are listed in verses 1 and 2. So we can better appreciate the magnitude of happiness about which David writes. And we need to understand that these sins are not intended to be a progression from lesser to greater sins, but rather they are parallel sins. We know that the Bible teaches no sin is greater than another, right? James 2, verse 10, whoever breaks one is guilty of them all. These four types of sins start with number one, transgression. That is rebellion. There's another word for that. Are you guilty against God of rebellion? Have you ever been guilty of rising up to take the throne of your heart? Placing yourself as Lord instead of submitting to God as Lord? God has something to say about that in 1 Samuel 15, 23. He says, rebellion is as the sin of divination, which is witchcraft. And why that's so bad, well, all sin is bad, but if you look up the definition of witchcraft, one of the definitions is to take sides with the devil. Now, it's a a lot more graphic, the actual um, definition. I thought I would spare us that this morning, but suffice to say, you're siding with the devil against God when you rebel. Number two is sin. It's sin, but it's also an offense. But if you dig back And to the root of that word, it means to miss the way or miss the mark. Have you ever missed the mark? I know I have. I'll give you a quick story. Last, and I wasn't, this isn't in my notes, I wasn't planning to do it. But last week, last Tuesday, we're at a production meeting. I work a full-time job in in overhead cranes. Many of you know that. Is it the uh, production meeting and they started talking about a certain um, vendor that we use. And uh, lo and behold, I jumped right in, started talking about him as well, and um, basically called him Chicken Little because everything's the sky is falling, every, every job he goes on. 
And uh, he does a great job for us. But as I was preparing this sermon Friday night, I was so convicted by the Holy Spirit that... mm, Bear with me. That I had to call him Saturday morning and apologize and ask him to forgive me because that was wrong. Well, he did. He was fine. He was blown. He started apologizing. I was like, don't apologize. I'm apologizing to you for doing this. This was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And I'm sorry. And I I said, you are a a great uh, asset to us. You are a great worker. And you're really a a blessing to uh, our company and to our branch. But anyway, I missed the mark that day. Have you ever missed the mark church? In your faith walk, have you ever missed the straight and narrow and ended up in that field of sin? The caveat is when you're in that field, if you get too far in that field, it's hard to look back and say, where's the straight and narrow? You can get lost in that. Sin number three, iniquity, which is perversity. It's a moral evil, evil, a deliberate desire within our nature to behave sinfully. We sure saw that in that example of David in in uh, 2 Samuel. Lastly is deceit, which is falsehood, and that's uh, treachery. It's a betrayal of trust, a deceptive action. And that's what David did for nine months to a year. He sat on that sin. He lived his life as if all those things described in 2 Samuel never happened. You've seen those commercials about Vegas, what happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas. This was kind of the royal Hebrew version of that. What happens in the palace stays in the palace. That was kind of his attitude. That's called denial. And what David found out in point number two is that acknowledge that denial doesn't work. Acknowledge that denial doesn't work. Point number two. Verses 3 and 5, let's look at those. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle for my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Selah. Now verses 1 and 2 are really the glorious, blessed ending, happy ending with David forgiven. The result of David's acknowledgement and confession. But before that, as we just uh, talked about, David spent the previous year tormented by the guilt of his sin that came about from the catalyst of his silence. Verses 3 and 4 summarize that. He concealed his sin, he refused to confess it, and it was eating him alive from the inside out. Church, refusing, refusal to confess your sins translates into internal grief and external weaknesses. Refusal to confess your sins translates into internal grief and external weaknesses. And it's not only David's silence that was exacting these internal and external stressors on his being. It was also God's unrelenting, loving hand of conviction and eventually correction through sending his prophet uh, Nathan. God loves, he, God disciplines those he loves. Hebrews 12 uh, 6 through 10. Church, maybe some of you have experienced this type of heavy conviction 
that we're talking about this morning. A time when you sealed up your sin and refused to confess it. Maybe some of you are living that out right now here today. Right now, joining us on live stream. If you are, I pray that you take this word to heart. Realize that the internal grief which with you are struggling will only grow more intense the longer that you keep silent. Proverbs 28, 13. The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. So to get to the end result of happiness, what must you do? Let's see what David did. Verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, And did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. That's all he did. He acknowledged and confessed. And God was faithful to forgive. That was all three steps in verse 5. Acknowledgement, confession, forgiveness. Result, final stage, happiness. God is awesome. Although we looked at the particular sins that David mentions in verses 1 and 2, you must avoid the fallacy of thinking in terms of specific sins, as if one could be worse than the other. We've already mentioned James 2.10, which states if you break one, you're guilty of them all. The point is that no matter the sin, God is willing to forgive you. Unless a person dies in their sin of unbelief and never accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, then God's willing to forgive you. Don't believe the lie that your sin is too much for God to handle. Did you, Think what David, what we just read about David and his whole string of sins that he put together. And God forgave him just like that because he repented. He turned from that sin and turned to God. King David realized that denial doesn't work. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, after they sinned, David was hiding from God, or so he thought. But God, in his unfailing love, said, It's time to come back home, David, when he sent his prophet Nathan to deliver his merciful call to repentance. Praise God for coming after us when we go astray. That's what Jesus, our good shepherd, does. When his sheep goes astray, he comes after us. Says he'll leave the 99 and go find the one. He loves us that much. Point three learn to heed God's instruction. Learn to heed God's instruction, verses six through nine. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Selah. There's that therefore that we see so many times in Scripture. And what's it there for? I prefer why is it there, but that doesn't fit with the adage, so we'll go with what's it there for. It points back to what David just said in, verse, in the first five verses. It points back to David confessing his sin and receiving forgiveness and being made happy in God's forgiveness. When he says, let everyone who is faithful, the word there is also godly. Let everyone who is godly pray to you. And some translations read, while you may be found. 
You may have a translation today with you that says, while you may be found. The word there in Hebrew actually means now. So the CSB translation of immediately is a, is a solid translation. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And I love what Matthew Henry wrote in his commentary on Psalm 32. It won't be on the screen. I'll just read it for you. Those that would speed in prayer must seek the Lord when by His providence He calls them to seek Him and by His Spirit stirs them up to seek Him. In a time of finding, when the heart is softened with grief and burdened with guilt, when all human refuge fails, when no rest can be found to the troubled mind, then it is that God applies the healing balm by His Spirit. One could be inclined to think that this means you better do it now because there may be a time when it's too late and you will miss heaven. But you must avoid the notion that David here is speaking to the lost, the unregenerate, the non-Christian. He's not. David was a believer. And forgiveness in this psalm is directed toward believers. It's true that none of us are guaranteed another breath past this current breath. And don't know what tomorrow brings. Remember James 4. For the unbeliever, if you die in your sin of unbelief, you have no more hope to find that merciful God of forgiveness that David testifies to in the Psalms. But rather, you will find God the judge who will reject you for rejecting His Son, Jesus, and cast you away. Before the Christian, Christ died for your sins, past, present, and future. So this passage is not referring to your salvation. Rather, it refers to that close, daily experiential relationship with Jesus Christ that requires your confession and your repentance as soon as you are cognizant, as soon as you know of that sin. By doing that, you can avoid the condition of cognizant dissonance, Pastor Danny, that David experienced by keeping silent about his sin. I say that because if you would like a, a fuller explanation of cognizant dissonance, which is very hard to say, by the way, you can talk with Pastor Danny. <laughs> but moving on what is David saying in verses 6b through 7 and this one was challenging for me to, to look at and kind of grasp but what we have to realize is that David in verses 4 through 7 is praying to God I didn't give these to you but 1 through 3 David is speaking to the audience the hearer us 4 through 7 he's praying to God 8 and 9 God is speaking 10 and 11 David speaking again to the reader or the hearer. He's praying, May everyone who is godly, each one of your children, dear Lord, if they have sin in their life, may they confess it immediately and listen to the voice of His Spirit when conviction moves their heart. That is the only way to be shielded from great floodwaters, from rush of waters, which is a metaphor for trouble that can endanger and overwhelm one's life as a result of unconfessed and willful sin. This reality of deliverance brought David to praise God, to proclaim in verse 7, You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. David's groaning of distress was turned into shouts of deliverance. 
Now, this is an amazing response from David, I thought. Knowing the consequence of his sin and his sins that was pronounced through Nathan. Let's look at the summary of that. And Pastor Andy mentioned uh, one or two of these last week. The sword would never leave his house because of his sins. Out of his own house, evil would rise up against him. This is played out in the very next chapter in 2 Samuel 13 by and through his son Absalom. His wives would be given to his neighbor, and he and Bathsheba's first child would die, which he did. Isn't it amazing, though, that God continued to bless after this? Who was their next son? David and Bathsheba. Anybody know? I'm sure you do. King Solomon. And how much did he bless him? John Piper put it like this about confession of sins. Confession of sins is not the basis for our forgiveness. It is one of the traits that show we are truly in Christ, where all our sins are covered by His blood. And so a word of encouragement to you, church. A prayer of true confession brings instant forgiveness. No 12-step program, no acts of penance to earn God's forgiveness. God is faithful and righteous to forgive and cleanse from 1 John 1, 9 that we read earlier. <clears throat> I do want to point out, think of David's example. It's important to realize that although God forgives completely, there are consequences to our sins, some of which can be lifelong consequences. Verse 8 and 9, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like the horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. And when he says God's eye on you, it's not meant like he's God's up there just watching and waiting for you to mess up so he can smite you and, and, and curse you. But instead, it means he's going to watch over you as a watchful, loving father, as we see described in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. We won't turn there this morning. But God wants us to come to him on our own. Now, J David chose rather to act like a horse or mule, to act as if he had no understanding of God's statutes and what was expected of him. And sometimes we act like that too. God had to send his prophet Nathan as a sort of holy bit and bridle to bring David near, since David refused to do it on his own. And there we see an example of the Heavenly Father's loving discipline of His children to keep them near. That's what He'll do for you and me, church, and all of His children. If you're truly a child of the Heavenly Father, He will not allow you to live in rebellion. He will confine you and He will call you to repentance. Point number four, learn to trust in the Lord and rejoice. Verses 10 and 11. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So many pains, many griefs, many afflictions, many sorrows. That's what this means. King David described the consequences of him keeping silent about his sin, about him denying his sin. David knew very well the many pains that follow when you ignore sin in your life. 
come to the wicked. That word there, wicked, it means just that, wicked. But it also refers to one being a criminal, guilty of a crime, deserving of punishment. And I, I love the uh, parallelism there in verse 10. It's a, it's a contrast that David makes. On the one hand, the wicked can expect many pains and sorrows. Contrast, the one who trusts in the Lord can expect faithful love and merciful kindness to surround him. So David is saying, God's got your back. God's got your front. God's got your sides when you trust in him. Speaking of trust, trust in the Lord, what does that mean? How, how deeply does that go? The word there means a confident trust. And what comes with it is the thought of a person lying on the ground, extended on the ground, totally exposed. Very vulnerable position. And I can't help, as I was studying through this, but make the comparison, the juxtaposition between the word there used for trust and the most word, Greek word, in the New Testament used for worship, which is proskuneo, my favorite word for worship. As, as it would have it. And that means to kiss the ground when prostrating before a superior. So I think we can make a correlation between trusting God is worshiping God. Trusting God is worshiping God. You've seen those videos where people have to trust one another, those trust-building exercises where one person has to fall back into the other's arms and they have to catch them. That takes quite a bit of trust. First, you have to trust that that person is able, that can actually catch you, and then they will catch you. But the trust that it's talking about here in God is much deeper than that. And it's way more intense than that. I'm talking about the kind of trust where you refuse idolatry in the face of a fiery furnace, knowing that God is able to deliver you from the fire. Or if He doesn't, He will resurrect you in the glory where you can spend eternity with him, such as the case was recorded in Daniel 3 of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm talking about the kind of trust where you do not abandon your prayer time, even with the threat of being thrown into the lion's den, which is the case with God's servant Daniel in Daniel 6, verses 20, uh, verse 23. What does it say? What was the outcome? When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his God. And I'm talking about the kind of trust where you trust in God to forgive you and to cleanse you and surround you with merciful kindness. That's just what David did. He trusted in the Lord and experienced God's faithful love and merciful kindness. So we see that the Bible teaches us to trust the Lord when we are innocent. But it also teaches us here in Psalm 32 to trust the Lord when we are guilty. Last verse, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, David's not talking about the kind of glad, joyful rejoicing where you get about as excited as Ben Stein with those eyedrop commercials. The command here is to brighten up with a gleeful, exuberant countenance in the Lord. To rejoice. And the meaning in, in the Hebrew is to go round about, to spin around, to spin around, excited to the point of levity. And when I read this, I really got a kick in it. It really brought joy to my heart because when Debbie and I were dating, 
and even after we were dating, that we had moments of celebration together where we would join hands and jump for joy, spin around, jump for joy. We actually did that. We didn't care who was around. We were in love and still are. And uh, jumping for joy is great for your relationship. Oh, that's a side note there. But this is the kind of jubilant celebration this verse commands. It's a command. That's an imperative there. There's three of them in this Psalm 6, 9, and 11 being the last one. Why? Why is it commanding this kind of celebration? Because the God of the universe stands ready to forgive, restore such wretched sinners as us who deserve judgment and damnation. That is reason to celebrate. And I love this next part. It's, it's, it's very exciting. The term, you righteous ones. He's not talking about our righteous. You know, in the Hebrew, one of the, de- one of the uh, explanations, definitions of that is Jehovah, our righteous, our righteousness, the, or the Lord, our righteousness. So be glad in the Lord and rejoice. The Lord, our righteousness. And that's cause for shouts of joy. Because it's not our righteousness that God sees because we have none. But thankfully to God, He sees Jesus' righteousness on us. So in conclusion, church, David started out hiding from God, but he acknowledged and confessed his sins and God forgave him. David went from hiding from God to hiding in God. While David was living in sin, he kept silent from God. He was groaning in his guilt. But then he acknowledged and confessed his sins, and David went from groaning to praying. Are you groaning or are you praying this morning? Once David humbled himself, confessed his sins to God, and God forgave him, David was not only praying to God, he was rejoicing in God. Are you ready to start rejoicing, church? True happiness comes through forgiveness. Today, if you will acknowledge your sins to God and confess your sins to God, He will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and you will know true happiness. Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross, so the burden of your sins can be lifted from you, forgiven, taken away. When you profess faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your sins became covered by His blood so that God no longer regards your sin, and you are innocent before God through Jesus. He covers you with His righteousness before God the Father. Because of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, your debt is no longer charged to your account. It's paid in full, past, present, and future in glory. That is if you've professed Jesus as your Lord. Now, if you haven't professed Jesus as your Lord and you're here today or you're viewing online, the Lord is calling you to repentance, to acknowledge and confess your sin. Confess it to Him and believe on Jesus unto salvation. Romans 10, 9-10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You shall be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you need to speak with a pastor, we have pastors that will be down front 
to receive you and talk with you. And just so there's no uh, misunderstanding, just walking in aisle or talking to someone is, is not, uh, that does not mean you're saved. That's a personal relationship with Jesus. But, but if you need to speak with someone this morning, we'll be down here to, uh, to greet you. Uh, pray with me, church. Blessed Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have not charged my iniquity to me, that you have forgiven me when I confess those sins to you. Thank you that you took away all my sin when I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And as I fail, as I falter in my daily walk, you are faithful to forgive as I confess those to you, Lord, and, and just stay renewed in my relationship to you. I pray for everyone here and everyone listening online that they would experience that and they would know that. I pray your Holy Spirit reach out, touch their lives, touch their hearts, and draw them to you, draw us to you. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.